you have two spirits and two souls in one body, which Ephesians speaks about, you're headed for a challenge. And so I remember years ago, um, we had, oh, we were 13 years, I think, actually Sarah was 13, so we were probably 15 years married, and uh, we had a real blowout. I don't even remember what it was. But um, at that moment, my wife was on the worship team, and I was a Sunday school teacher, and she said, I'm leaving, and she drove out of the driveway and went to the church. She doesn't know I'm sharing this, so just kind of, uh, I'm being transparent, okay? Um, I want everybody to know it's not all perfect roses, you know, like everything's just like, yeah, yeah. And so, but I want you, what I learned from this one, right? There's this, she drove to the church, and our pastor happened to be preparing his sermon on Saturday morning, and in here comes this crying woman, <laughs> And I got summoned to the church. How about that? <laughs> Hello, summoned to the church. I got your wife here. So I go there, and he, you know, puts her in one room and me in another. And I remember his discussion for me was, I want you to read, while I go talk to your wife, I want you to read Ephesians chapter 5, the one about husbands and wives. And so I read that. And I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with this wife you've given me? And, uh, and uh, he comes back in and he goes, you read that part about you're supposed to love your wife like Christ did and die for her? And honestly, son, I don't see any blood on you. You're an arrogant, prideful man, and you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, you meditate on that. Let me go talk to your wife again. <laughs> and, he, and man, that was like, I don't know if I want to sit here for this. But he put it back and forth. It was a great, he's a, I love that man, David, Pastor David. He's really, I credit him for saving us and discipling us and, and uh, saving our marriage. And so there was this, there was that moment where the revelation of what Christ did for his church and the mystery. This is the question I had earlier in the week from the Lord. He said, so do you know about this great mystery concerning my son and the church? I said, no, Lord, but I think I'm going to learn some more. I'm going to do my best to unpack some of this this morning because I believe if we really get a hold of this, it'll do something uh, to us. So, Lord, I just ask you to get me out of the way and utilize your word and your power and the revelation of what you're doing here among us to, to bring this truth to the church. What does it mean? What's the word mystery mean? What's a mystery? What, what does that word mean? What's the definition of mystery? Something unknown, okay. It's something that is difficult or maybe even impossible. It's somewhat secret looking to be discovered. That's mysterious. You ever watch the mysteries, right? Who did it, right? So that kind of a, so mystery is something that's difficult or maybe somewhat impossible if you don't understand it, and it's a secret. How about a plan? What does the word plan mean? Okay, that's part of it. It's actually, it's, it, think of it as a goal, right? Um, the, the goal that was, you have an idea, um, Part of, the, part of a goal in its execution is strategy and also timing. So I want you to remember these three points. There's a goal, 
and there's a strategy, and there's a timing. You get a word from God, if you don't know the strategy that is being unfolded before you or the steps to take, and you don't understand the timing, you can get in a big mess, right? How about the example of Abraham? Abraham, look up. He's, he's an old man, right? Look up. You're going to have all these children like the stars. He goes, that's awesome. Yay. 25 years later, no kids. And there's no exchange or even question from Father Abraham to the father like, how are you going to do it and when are you going to do it? There's no, I'm, I'm sure they didn't leave that out of the scriptures. There's probably no, he, God's going to do it. He's a man of faith. So 25 years later, there's no children. So then his wife says, I'm getting kind of frustrated. Why don't you sleep with Hagar? Have it, children through my, right? Like, what? Yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. No, not a great idea, right? So he didn't understand the strategy of God. He had the word, but he did not understand the strategy. He had God's goal. I'm gonna have, you're going to have a lot of children, but you didn't ask me about how, <laughs> So the timing of this was way off. He didn't understand until later. God obviously works with all that. He factors in our stupidity, what Bill Johnson says, right? He factors all that in, so now he can bring all the, the, those that were born of Hagar and all of the other tribes to come in. So I want you to see that the plan that God has, let, let's take it another step, kind of make a little better revelation on this. Let's say that this afternoon you're going to go to the beach. So we're going to the beach. Well, that's the goal. We're going to go to the beach. Well, you, how do you get to the beach? You better know how to get there. You have to have transportation. So here's the strategy. Might, you might want to bring your bathing suit if you're going. Um, you might want to bring sunscreen. Maybe if you're bringing kids, you better, you know, life jackets and be good. If, so there's a strategic plan to get into the beach. Which beach you want to go to? That matters. Um, you don't want to go at night. Probably not a good time to go in the dusk when the sharks are feeding. So there's a, there's, a, there's a timing to it as well. Don't go at midnight. That's not really kind of cool. You might want to look at the tides, what tide is up. And so there's a, there's a goal and there's a strategy and there is a timing. And if we don't get these parts right in the revelation of God, you will get a mess before you. And oftentimes I see it over and over again. I got a word. Wow, that's awesome. What's the rest of it? Well, I didn't ask God about that, and you know, he, remember he says, trust the Lord, do good, he'll give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37, but wait patiently for him to act. Oh, we forgot that part. Um, man, I can tell you, fill in too many stories of both my own and others that this didn't work out the way we thought it would. Well, let me ask this. When Paul, let's, let's turn, turn with me if you will, let's go to... Ephesians, let's look at chapter 1 of Ephesians. This kept jumping off. The, if you look at the number of times the word mystery is utilized, it's at least seven times in the six chapters of Ephesians. And this was the church that was in revival. It's the where his son Timothy went and became the senior pastor. Uh, he spent a, a good deal of time there. There was some major upheaval in the, church, in the city there. Remember, they, they burned the books of witchcraft over probably $2 million worth. There were riots. <laughs> See, wherever Paul went, there were either riots or, or revival breaking out, and so, or sometimes both. And so this, 
If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, this is the Paul greeting to the church at Ephesus. I'm writing to the holy people, verse 1, in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you the grace and peace. All praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, everybody say every, spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. So we have spiritual blessings in heavenly realms because we are in or one with Christ. According to that, he has chosen in him, you look at verse 4, even before the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy, without fault, in his eyes. So we are, King James says, from the foundation of the earth, that you should be holy, without blame, and before him in love. So that's the goal. You are the goal. God's plan is you. Come on. God's plan is you. He's in pursuit of you. He wants you. That's his goal. I want a family. I will have a family. The rest of it is all strategic. Oh, I need to build, I need to, I got to get some dust together. I got to have an earth, right? So I got to form these people in our image because if I'm going to have a family, I got to create them. So that's part of the strategic plan. But the goal is you. So you are it. That's his focus. Well, then what about the timing? How about that? And, and how about blameless and holy and in love? Whoa, wait a minute. Um, since our great-grandparents messed this up and chose rebellion, the plan is we have to recover what was lost. So the strategic plan is this is from the foundation. Lord, oh, wow, they really did this now. What am I going to do? No, I, this is what's going to happen. So the son says, I'll go down. I'll become one of them. And my sacrificial love, my royal shed blood on the cross will bring them before me blameless and holy without a single fault, without a blemish, without anything wrong with them. Those, but here's the other part of the strategic plan. They have to willfully self-will to engage because I will only have children that want to be mine. You see the strategy? So he sits there and says, the goal is them. I want a big family. My father's house, we sing the song, my father's house, big, big house, a big, big yard. He's got all that, right? It's a, so this, he's got this huge mansion because I want to fill it with all my kids. And I want my kids to come. So we, but what about the timing of this? How, when is this going to happen? Good that you should ask. Turn back to Romans chapter 11. Keep your finger in Ephesians 1. Turn back to Romans 11. We just looked at eight Wednesday nights of the book of Revelation, three Sunday mornings of the book of Daniel, so we know the things are counting down, right? But then they're getting close. They're getting real close. But he says, I want to show you another mystery. Look at Romans chapter 11. Let's begin in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Here we go again. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in the part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel will be saved. 
New Living Translation says this, verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only, see the timing, until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. I won't go back into Revelation, all that timing and everyone, but there's a clock, I believe, running in heaven. And every day that one comes to Christ, that clock ticks, 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 and there's an exact number. God knows the number, and He knows all of them, those who will surrender their lives to Him. And there's a point coming when all of a sudden, boom, the family has been decided in the Gentile world. And that timing then sets this motion, and God says, okay, here's this mystery. So Paul talks of the mystery. Let's go back to Ephesians. This mysterious plan in Ephesians 1, he says, so I want you to be blameless and without wrinkle or spot. We will be united with him. Let's pick up in verse 4. Even before the world began, Ephesians 1, 4, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. There's the strategy. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. That's important. He's the groom. You are the bride. Clarified that in our study in Revelation. He is so rich, Revelation 19, right? It says you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he says, who is the bride? Come, let me show you who she is. It's the church. So we praise God for His glorious grace He's poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is, verse 7, He is so rich in kindness and grace, He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered us kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this plan, at the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united in oneness with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. Isn't that good news? Let, you know, we make this so complicated. You're His plan. He's wooing you all through life, every circumstance, all the good, the bad, the ugly. He's saying, we read it, right? We can stand on this solid rock. He's the one. No man comes to Him unless He draws you in. As soon as He comes, he, then He works the plan. He says, he says, He who began the work will perform it. He's performing His plan in you, right? So, Man, this guy over here, 25, you know, 30-something years ago and not loving his wife and arrogant, and I'm getting there. And then over here, I'm on this journey, right? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But I'm going to be a whole lot wiser and full of revelation the more I'm washed by the Word. The more I choose Him in all my mess-ups, the more I choose Him, the more wiser we get, right? And so once we simplify, I'm His plan. 
You're his plan. You're his masterpiece. Once you realize it's like, oh, I got to be really good. He just loves you. Just, if we could get a hold of the fact of how much, would you dare send one of your children to die on a brutal cross, to be spit on and beat you? I'll tell you what. He did it because that was the way to get the holiness and the blame off of you and put on him. That sets in motion this righteousness. He says, I will make you the righteousness of Christ. That you can walk in, you can walk right into the throne room of grace and all of your stuff and all the unfinished business and you can walk right into the grace and sit down on the throne next to, he says, sit in my right, you're seated, it says in Ephesians 2, seated with Christ. God, I, how is that possible? It's not possible with you, but all things are possible with God, right? That royal blood, that sacrifice, if we really grab hold of, man, whew, it'll make you fall in love. That's why he said you got to love him with your whole mind, your whole heart, your whole soul, with all your strength. Man, we're not capable of doing that. We're selfish, self-centered people. We want it our way, got to have it this way and that. And once we say, whoa, thank you for the grace. That changes the way we look at ourselves and we fall in love. Not because I'm worried about this guy who's going to come beat me with a stick. No. No. He's the father standing there for the prodigal every day just praying his prodigal will come out of the pig pen of life and come on back. I'm ready to have a party at the house, son. My daughter, come on. And he'll deal with all the jealous old brothers who are there. You never did it for me. Oh, be quiet. Yes, you're here. You're in the house too. When we look at Ephesians, he says, this mysterious plan united with Christ. He has identified you. Look at verse 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth of the good news. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit when he, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is the guarantee King James says, you're sealed with Holy Spirit promise. You're walking around sealed. Sealed. I like that. There's a fresh seal on you. Mm. It's like marked by the Spirit. God knows who they are, and it says we're going to give them praise and glory. All right, turn, turn to, there's so much more in Ephesians, but turn to chapter 5 in Ephesians. I want you to see this. This is the part of the amazing mystery that, Paul was giving direction on spirit-guided relationships, and he got to the husband and wife relationship, and he tells the wife what she should do. Then he talk, turns to the husband in verse 25, Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, this means that love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. That's why I love, Brian didn't know everything. I love the, it started in the pre-service prayer with the washing in the water, the cleansing of the word. This word will wash over you. As you read it, you get convicted. You, you, you see the reflection of 
this is what I'm doing. That's not what you want me to be doing. And, and he, he tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word will equip you. It'll teach you. It'll convict you. It'll, right? It's inspired. It says it's in the inspired word of God. And so it's good to equip us, right? But then it goes, it goes on. He said Christ came. Verse 27, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I said, Lord, you know my stuff. (laughs) You know my faults, God. Yeah. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, joins his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and his wife must respect her husband. There's such a connection. He's, he's using the example of human marriage as an example to between what Christ did. He modeled for us what he would do, and now he asks us, will you also do it for me? So take a look at your outline. In that being presented in the top paragraph there, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without fault, he's working the church. He's working on his body. We are the hands and feet. That's why I love um, all that you all do. The outreaches you go to, the, the street ministry, street angels, the jailhouse, the, the house of mercy. All, that's all. You are the body of Christ in motion. You are the hands and feet when you go to the hospital and you pray for the sick. When you stand at the Planned Parenthood facility and say, no more blood for the children. You are the body of Christ making a stand and a statement says, I am His, and therefore I stand. That's the body of Christ in action. And so He is telling us that we must operate without fault, and without blemish. But then He says, in love. I put this title, Miss Addie probably hates this song, but, and I don't even want to sing Tina Turner's song, right? Right? Some of you don't even know who she is because you're not old enough, but all right. Um, she said, love's got nothing to do with it. Guess what? <laughs> That's wrong. It's got everything to do with it. It's got everything to do with it. He modeled this, demonstrated love. And so love's got everything to do with his plan. Every, he is love, and you can't get in there unless you're engrafted in his love. That spot or wrinkle, that gets us in the strategy. I, these folks, I, they got to get cleaned up. So I'm going to send my son, and when they repent and confess, then there's un, no unrighteous thing in them. So then we can come right in the throne room. But he says, love's got everything to do with this. Because when you're in a family, man, most families have drama, okay? Because it's filled with people that are not fully delivered yet of all their stuff, right? And so... When we get in in this thing about love, but when a, when a family is in love with each other, first of all, love covers a multitude of sins. 
right? You got that strange uncle or whatever. It's like, oh, Lord, they're at the Thanksgiving party, but we love them anyway. There's Uncle Ted, you know, and so if there's any Ted's in here. I'm not speaking about you, but so, or out there. And so what I'm saying is there's this love that covers a multitude. We overlook a whole bunch of faults because we know how faulty we are, right? Humble yourself. And so God's everything, everything has to do with this love relationship. Then he goes on and he defines what it is. Number one, there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. When I see these servicemen and women who have laid down their life, the selfless acts of what they do, there's no greater love. Jesus said, there's no greater love than you lay down your life. That's maybe your physical life, but how about when you lay down your life in all the mess and junk and they don't deserve forgiveness and, they, and you still lay down your life? Because that's the Romans 12, 1, 2. Present yourselves. Don't be conformed, but present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You're alive and you're sacrificing. That's what he's talking about when he says, this is that love relationship. You lay down your life. Then he went on and he described, says, I no longer call you my servants. I call you friends. But then he defines what's friendship. Turn with me, if you will. Turn to John 15. He defines what is a friend of Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? Well, what do these friends look like? What, it's about what they do. John 15. He goes on, he says, first, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Great analogy there. You ever see those vines that are about this thick and they go up and they take, in the south here, they take over trees completely? You could try to climb up the tree and cut them all out, but there's a better way. Just take your chainsaw or your, hack, your axe and get the main root at the bottom. And in a little while, it'll be all dried up and dead. It'll come out itself. He gives that as a description. If he's the vine, we're the branches. And unless you stay connected to him, you're going to dry up and die, and all you're worthy of is being thrown in the flames. But then he goes on and goes, verse 9, he says, As the Father hath loved me, I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Wow. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This week, the men's group. Man, I just invite you men. Come on out. We did this... Jim Parker did an amazing study. He handed out all the Ten Commandments, and then we always get goodies. But he had all of us try to memorize or at least call out the Ten Commandments. And those commandments are access ways. Love God with all your heart, soul. Honor your father, your mother. Don't covet another man's wife. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't hate. These are the things that that God said in the commandments. If you will keep my commandments, verse 10, you will abide in my love. Because you're not selfish when you're doing those, those Ten Commandments. Those are the moral law of God. They're not, they're not irrelevant. They're now. And he says, if you'll do them, you will abide in my love, and you will keep my Father's commands as you abide in my love. These things I've spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. There's something about compliance to the moral works of God that will make you happy. It'll bring you joy because you're going to be at peace. Because when you're not doing what you should be doing, you are not at peace. Right? Especially as a believer. We used to, when I was a non-believer, I had all this, I had no lack of, well, I had a little bit, but I didn't want to get found out. Right? 
But as soon as you get saved, the Holy Spirit's in there, and you go, Tom, come on, man, you know better than that. Stop thinking that way. Stop, right? So when you're in that place of walking with God, following His commands, there's a level of peace. You will know the peace that will set you free, right? Passes understanding. Then he goes on, he says, that you love one another, verse 12, this is my commandment, love one another. Sounds so nice. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That's how to become a friend of God. What, was, what is your command, Lord? I, what what do you, would you like me to do today? What about this situation? How do I handle this, Lord? It's complicated, God. I, I, oh, since you asked, my friend, I will reveal myself to you. Because he says, I no longer share secrets with the servants, but I do with my friends. Whatever you do, verse 15 says, henceforth, I no longer call you servants, They don't know what the Lord does, but I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And I have, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. There's a oneness with Christ, verse 4, I mean, number 4 there on your handout, oneness with Christ is found in the death of self. We read it in Ephesians 5 that Christ died for his church. Then he goes on and he says, are you willing to give up your life for me? Number five, give up your life, turn from your selfish ways, and take up your cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23 and Matthew 16, 25. He's asking you to die to self. He's asking me, are you willing to to love me more than you love yourself. Are you willing? He promises if you will do that, if you'll seek to do that, in those selfish things that we do, the self-centered stuff where we justify all of our stuff. He says, if you'll leave that at the cross daily and present yourself to me and do what I ask you to do, then you're loving me with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Number six there, he says, he commands it. And how do you do that? I listed the nine aspects of that with all. I mean, he's not a halfway God. He says, I want your whole heart, the innermost part of who you are, the gateway to your center person. He says, I want your soul, all your unique emotions, your unique will in your mind, all your talents, everything that makes you so different than everyone else. And I want your mind. I want to have your thought life. I want you to battle through and war against these things. In 2 Corinthians 10, right, he says, taking every thought captive, that the weapons that we fight with, they're not flesh, they're they're spiritual. Take those thoughts captive. Everything that tries to come and raise itself above the knowledge of Christ, pull it down. I want your mind. I want you to think about me. I want you to think of what is holy and beautiful. Colossians, he says, set your focus on what is above, not below, on those things that are good and holy and right and pure and just. Man, and it's difficult. In this age of, of all the stuff on spiritual, on social media, 
bombarded daily with negativity and brokenness and confusion. You got to really, you got to set your mind on those things that are above. And then your physical body, I want, I want you to physically walk with me. I want you to be my hands and feet. Number 10, he says, daily carry your cross. Committed, faithful, relentless, steadfast, trustworthy, forgiving. You're a warrior. You're not a wimp. You're a warrior. You repent when you mess it up. You're humble when you screw it up. You're disciplined in your reading and your purpose, your, your places of location. You go, you don't assemble with people that are out there doing all sorts of craziness. And you're led by the Holy Spirit. When He tells you to go, you go. That's living this transformed life. This is that mysterious plan that I know God wants us to get a revelation of. Let me end with John 17. Let's turn there. This prayer of oneness my good friend, Neil Blake, always loves this. One in Christ is that ministry. But we've often shared, we were hunting this, we were talking about John 17 just in the fall here. And Jesus, after he reveals to the, to the disciples what's about to be laid out, what's going to happen, he then has a prayer to the Father, which you know the Lord, when he prays, it's going to happen, Right? Verse 1, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one that you give, have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. The only true God, Jesus Christ, the, the one you sent to earth, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones that you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now, just stop there for a minute. <laughs> they rejected him. They, you know, it's like he sees so far beyond what we are. This is a prophetic picture. When Peter, who's about to deny him three times, right? But when he's repented, Peter, now feed my lambs. Once you've, I've asked you three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, you know everything. I love you. Good. Go feed my lambs. So he's speaking future prophetic, and it's about us. He says, you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed it on to them, the message you gave me. They accepted it, and they know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer, it's not for this world, but it's for those you have given me, because they belong to you. And all who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me. So, they bring me glory. Every time you do something, you bring him glory. He asks you to do something, the glory gets given to the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm departing this world. 
They're staying in this world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. That's a big word. During my time here, I protected them from the power of the name that you gave me. I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one that's headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. The world hates them because they don't belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not for those, these disciples only, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Do you see the oneness? This is the mystery Paul was referring to as the oneness with a husband and wife. There's a unity that happens. Something there that says, I want them so by the Spirit to be one. Their body, the church body, is one with me. Don't take them out of the world now. They've got work to do, but protect them while they're here and make them one with us. Flow oneness with us, O God. For I pray that they will be one as we are one. I have given them glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I don't understand that scripture, but it says there in verse 22, I have given them glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. There's something in the shared glory of doing things. Have you ever done something for Christ where you just know, it's like it gets you really fired up? And it's like, man, it's like, ah, that oneness, that glory sharing happens in something in the unifying of the oneness with Christ. When you act as the body of Christ, in oneness with Him, doing as He commanded, and the Lord produces that life stuff inside, something happens in the glory share that I am feeling the oneness. I'm getting really zapped right now. So I know the Holy Spirit's saying, yes, There is something in the sharing. That's why if you're not out doing God's work, you're missing it. I'm telling you, you're missing it. If you will just get to a place where, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Get up tomorrow and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord. What is today? What's on your agenda today? I've got to do this, this, and this. How would you like to do it together? He says, I've given them the glory, and they will be one. Verse 23, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that they, you love them as you love me, as much as you love me. Now that'll get you happy. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. 
That's why it breaks my heart when I have people come and say, I'm such a loser, I'm such this, I'm that, and God can't possibly love me. Oh. Perfect unity, the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see all the glory that you gave me. Friends want to share stuff. Jesus wants to share his glorious purpose and all the foundation, all the things. He wants you to see it. He want, I want my friends to see it. You know, when you celebrate something by yourself, it's not as much fun as like. He says, I want them to see it because you love me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples, they know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. All right, let's stand. This, what a great prayer. Jesus, you can count on that prayer. You can count on it. One day we are going to see his glory. I want to invite the ministry team to just come. And Lord, I thank you that there's a unity in Christ. There's a oneness. It's a mysterious thing how Christ loves his church. With all of her blemishes, we got a bunch of zits that you're cleaning up, Lord. I thank you that you don't look at that. You, you, you looked right past that, the disciples, and you said, they know you. And they know that I, that I was sent by you. And I'm revealing myself. And I will continue to do it. So this oneness, this unity in Christ will so motivate us. However many days we have left. Whether the world, the timing and the strategy of God comes to a close that we've read and studied in the last few months. Or whether it ends for us. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. God, I thank you for your presence, and I thank you, Holy Spirit. Your word is so full. And then he, in that fullness of the Godhead, dwells in Christ. And then he says in Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will quicken your mortal body. God, any sickness in this house, any struggles, any battles, Lord, I pray right now you'd quicken the mortal bodies, that every cell would line up with sovereignty. We had a testimony this week of a lady came for prayer. She'd been told by two doctors she had cancer. We prayed for her. She went for ultrasound, no cancer. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, do it again, God. Every place, every bone, every marrow, every structure, all chemistry. Lord, I pray every place, God, that you would re turn back the dial right now. Where there's been age stuff going on, I pray, Lord, that you would renew. If Moses could have his good eyesight and strong body until the day you had to take him home. 
he was too good, too healthy. You had to take him. Then, Lord, you can quicken these mortal bodies to long life and health. So sovereignly, Lord, I just pray for you to quicken by the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you'd bring, reveal dreams and visions. Had two of our folks had dreams last night, this week. Lord, I ask you to bring prophetic dreams of revelation. And then, Lord, let everyone, I just want to release this missional army. You're going out through those doors. There's the mission field right outside this door. You may go to a restaurant to say, just think about it. And think of a word that you might have for your waitress or the care person that comes or you got the truth. You got power. You have a revelation. So Lord, I pray that the body of Christ would act to fulfill your plan and purpose. So Lord, we thank you this week, Wednesday night. Lord, I pray for the burn. We're going to come together with bilingual worship from six to nine. Lord, I pray as we come together, last week was family. This time it's worship around the throne. God, I pray as we come together, Lord, as we go about and stand out there for life, you will hear from heaven and heal Wilmington, and you'll shut down the abortion clinic. Lord, I pray that you do it, Lord. We're calling unto you. So, Father, we thank you in advance. I pray a blessing now that you'd shine your face. Surely goodness and mercy will follow your people this week. Be blessed. Have a great week. Thank you for being here this morning.